folks, welcome to Marvel News. I'm your host, David Price. Thank you for joining me today. You are going to hear uh, from Steve and Kevin. They're going to uh, they're going to have a little bit of a talking about Marvel a bit, uh, running through a few things. Some uh, the Avengers standoff event, uh, some Spider Woman, uh, and uh, some Doctor Strange among other things. So they're going to do that for a little bit. I just want to touch on uh, real quick. I read the second issue of the Clunan Dylan Martin Punisher series. Uh, still not for kids. Um, I think this is still some of the best work of Steve Dillon's career. Uh, continuing the story that the, um, First issue kicked off in this new series, uh, and I'm a little surprised that uh, it happened so quickly, but Punisher was face-to-face with the man known as Face, and there's a cool little espionage uh, setup at the beginning of the issue in a diner. Um, the, uh, the Like I said, the issue just continues the story from the first issue moves at a pretty quick clip, but uh, I kind of don't mind it, especially considering the uh, the subject matter and, and who is involved, and I'm pretty sure things are going to come to a head, uh, and not for the better for the people at the other end of Frank's gun. I also was catching up on some amazing Spider-Man and I got to take the good with the bad. I'm loving the Punisher. Uh, I can't really say the same about the current amazing Spider-Man. It's, um, I, especially the, the most recent arc, uh, which I have still to finish. I have the third issue of, of power play to, uh, to read. But the second part was the, the whole team up slash fight with, uh, between Spider-Man and Iron Man was just, it was just annoying more than anything else. I think I'll say it just, it, it did not do anything for me seeing these two grown ass men, uh, talk about who's better and, and what's better for miles. And it just, it went on way too long. They're both too, you know, Peter, especially, I would think, would know to put the brakes on it. There's absolutely no reason why Tony would get under his skin like that. Even with the whole Mary Jane thing, it it just, there seems to just be a lot going on for Peter. And uh, I'm, I'm guessing his judgment is, is off a bit. It just, it, it was not uh, one of the better... Spider-Man issues I read, and I also have absolutely no love. I don't know about absolutely no love. I'm not real fond of Regent. Whether that's because of the Secret Wars, Renew Your Vows tie-in, or uh, just his whole reason for being with capturing heroes, and it just, I don't. I'm just, I'm not feeling it. So, yeah, so uh, I don't mean to bring you down before 
Steve and Kevin uh, do their thing. There are a few things I still have to have to get to. I did catch up on uh, Doctor Strange, and and uh, I have one. The next issue is is the conclusion of the Last Days of Magic. That has been an absolute treat. Uh, I have to catch up on some Paramount Iron Fist. So I have a few things that I'm looking forward to to um, maybe help wash away the uh, the Amazing Spider-Man. So the guys are going to do their thing. I'm going to let Steve and Kevin take you away and uh, enjoy the rest of your show. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Well, I have some also, uh, all new, all different Avengers, and uh, Doctor Strange, The Last Days of Magic. Ooh, good, because oh, I've got that on deck and I haven't read it yet, so I'm one of those people who like spoilers and stuff, because I need a little kick in the pants to be like, ooh, I want to read that. <laughs> and I don't mind admitting that on the show. Well, we know you're loosey-goosey sometimes with... Uh, the way your stuff flows and is read and everything. But not with my continuity. No! Funny enough. Yeah. Like that Nick Fury or... Well, what, what was something else that we had trouble accepting? I was trying to think there's something else. The black that cat being bad. Oh, that, that's right! <laughs> uh. Some things we just can't get over. No. Although I did like how she was characterized in the Silk title and the Spider-Woman thing so far. And I even liked her in um, how Bendis treated her in the Miles Morales book just recently. It almost seems like she's... I don't know. They, they seem to soften her a little bit, but it's like, hey, she was just, like, like drugging people into mutates a few months ago, so... <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've been... I've been kind of softening on the... Black cat stuff. I I think it was because at the beginning, like the the way she got into it, I'm just like that just makes no sense. So yeah, like right away, I wasn't sold on it. This is true. I did like her admitting that she was going after Miles Morales because she was mad at the other Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she seems better in Silk and everything. I don't know. Maybe I'll come around to it. We'll see. Because when she's a thief, she's still doing things that are criminal. It's just, yeah, mutating people, and that, that, that was a weird direction. All right, shall we do it? Let's do it. You got this. Hey, Howlers. Steve Raker here from the Comic Book Bunker up in upstate New York, along with Kevin Whirlwind X, who's, gosh, even in a further point north. What's going on, man? How about those Harveys? Marvel got 50 nominations. Whew. They're going to do the Harveys when we're at... The Baltimore Comic Con. Oh, wait, I mean Valiant. That was 50 Valiant nominations, right. <laughs> that was weird. Andrew the L.A. Rabbit is off recovering from a surgical procedure, I think, to have his skeleton laced with adamantium, or unlaced with adamantium, I forget which. Or, mm -mm. or was it to have the Moonstone attempted to be removed from his body? It could be. Or was it to have Xavier's brain installed? You know, some of those things cause poisoning over time, so, you know, you might not want them in there forever. But we wish him well, and you can too, on Twitter, at LA underscore Rabbit One. But here on uh, episode 274, we wanted to go over some of the books we've been reading and things we've been 
digging on and questioning and coming into contact with. It's all things Marvel, Kevin. Yes, old and new, because we don't just like old comic books here. We like new comic books, too. That was the joke for the, gosh, since November, since Secret Wars was delayed, I wasn't reading any of the new books until Secret Wars finished up because I wanted to finish that state of mind before I jumped into any of the new stuff. By the time I did, because of all the double shippings, I mean, I had hundreds of (laughs) comics to to read and big chunks of titles, so I've been kind of going through and being able to have the advantage of reading the whole first arc and then some of some of these books rather than just the first issues like you guys did a few months ago. And I've been grading them along the way, uh, ABCs and Ds, and it's been fun trying to catch up to kind of where things are now. I'm finally getting into some of the standoff stuff and the Spider-Woman crossover, but we'll get into that uh, in a couple of minutes. Yeah, and then you got to get into that Civil War stuff and get in that. You know, it's it's funny. It's been going on for, what, two, three months, and I'm just, like, getting into it now because it seems like none of the books I was reading, like, mentioned it at all. Well, that's So it's so weird. Like, I'm sort of, you know, on the periphery, like, aware that it's going on, but I'm, like, not actively involved in it at all. If I can get in there with that material so that I'm caught up by the time the last couple of issues hit so that I can do those sort of day and date, if you will, <laughs> I, I think that would be a good enough experience. Also, I've been trying to catch up on other books and even just getting away from reading sequentials. And I like to read about comics, too, you know, and I know every few months here and there we tend to mention the tomorrow's publications like alter ego and comic book creator and back issue so much good stuff there kevin from the bronze age silver age and with all alter ego even older stuff uh i think i have a confession to make steve i think i like reading about comics with like pictures and words rather than you know like it's, it's kind of weird that you read comics and reading about comics you know but i've always dug the history and maybe it's because i've lived the last 46 years of it but alter egos just had big long interviews with folks like jim shooter rich buckler they went into all deathlock stuff jim mooney who did all great golden age work and then dc work and marvel and you thought that john buscema you know had disdain for superheroes jim mooney <laughs> jim mooney had disdain for superheroes and comic books altogether and even wow. into his twilight years didn't even consider it an art form. Well, at least it paid the bills for him, right? In Alter Ego, they've been doing like a serialized history of the comics code, which has been really interesting. Mm. And then they always do little Golden Age creators, like they did a thing on uh, the Flash Gordon artist Dan Barry, who went to prison for a while, and then when he came out, he did the Spidey strip for a short period of time, too, and just very interesting fellow but I, I love the history and th- that's all edited by Roy Thomas so you get that Marvel angle uh, through his lens regardless he's one of those Mr. Marvel type guys and then a comic book creator they had recently interviews with Stan Goldberg Joe Staten Mike and Laura Allred Bill Morrison who does the Simpsons comic stuff you know and Bernie Wrightson who's you know always one of my favorites so just great to get to see good long-form interviews. It's like listening to Suntress's Word Balloon podcast where you just get to 
get more from these creators and really hear them open up and get if abridged at all only partially abridged type interviews just so the you know it fits fits to print but i love the tomorrow's books yeah i was gonna say i like hearing about this stuff like when people are reading this stuff and then other people are commenting on it in a podcast (laughs) like i'm I'm fine with that. So I'm thinking, yeah, if there was an like an audio version, that would probably maybe more be more ideal because it's always like I could read more comics, or I could read about comics, and then I'm like, am I supposed to be more comics? That's funny. Oh, well, you're talking about grades, right, Steve? Yes. And I think some of the grades are shifting on some of the books. Fair enough. Because. I really wanted to get in on uh, all new, all different Avengers, but like something really wasn't clicking there. Like I totally love the characters, but like some of the villains and you know Kang and his suit, and I'm like, then we had the whole standoff thing, which I didn't think it was the greatest for the tie-in issues. But once you get to like that new Wasp issue, and then you get into uh, th- this crazy storyline where they're like, it's basically Nova's Nova's book at that point. Because I'm thinking, shouldn't this be a Nova's book if they're like looking for Nova's father and all that type of business? But then a nihilist shows up. A nihilist, Steve. <laughs> and at that point, I'm like, I'm totally sold. Like, you got the wasp sub uh, subplot where she's meeting up with the other wasp, new wasp, old wasp, Avengers, you know. And then you have this whole nihilist thing, and I'm just like, now this, now the grade on that book, like the thing, I, w- I was like, what is wrong with this book? Now, now I know what it was. I'm like, I needed something like that. I liked the all-new, all-different book more after I read the first few issues of the Miles Morales Spider-Man because it had how he came into contact with them and how he sort of started up and started up his friendship with Ms. Marvel and stuff. That's why I sort of want to read like the Nova book because it seems... And probably I'll have to read the Miles book as well because it seems like Ms. Marvel, Nova, and Miles, they're like always... Yeah, they're like, like eating each other's books and all that type of stuff. So I'm like, maybe it's time to get more deep into that stuff. I've got the cosmic books on tap for next time. I'm going to be getting into them. They're on deck. Top of the stack. I read the Spider-Woman title, which is... I think nine issues, eight issues in now, which then led into the Spider-Woman crossover. Kevin, you've been mentioning here and there <laughs> over the last few issues that that was a real enjoyable arc. Yeah, I, I think I, like on uh, on Twitter and everything, I made no secret that like I'm really into the book. I love this book. Like I think I read the first issue, and then probably I was listening to some podcasts or something and they were mentioning some other things and I'm like yeah I, I I better go all in on this type of thing and then they did the whole spider woman thing and spider women excuse me and uh, it was kind of like I had to pick between standoff or spider women so well you're going to get them both here in this conversation that's good spider woman written by Dennis Hopeless with art by Javier Rodriguez and Alvaro so good, Lopez. That Oh, it's really good, really crisp. The first four issues have the very pregnant Jessica Drew, who's Spider-Woman, and she's taking her pal Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel's advice, and she's going for a late-stage kind of wellness visit with her pregnancy. She's right up to the end of her term, 
and she's going to kind of like a uh, OBGYN clinic that's on the Alpha Flight station that handles all sorts of alien meta-human biologies and physiologies and stuff. Over her last series, she also developed what's become a likable supporting cast that's <laughs> Carol, who she leans on, her best bestest buddy, uh, trepid reporter Ben Urich, who helps oh, yeah. hook her up with her cases and stuff. And then there's this ex-D-level villain, <laughs> Roger the Porcupine, who's turned out into a somewhat, like a superhero who's come in and helped her out at times. Yeah, he's somewhat competent. I think that's what really helps the book, too. Like, there's these different elements going on that you I don't think you've, you've seen in a Spider-Woman book before. So in these first couple of issues, while at the clinic on the Alpha Flight space station, well... I should have said, the door, the portal is on the station. The clinic is actually in the center of a black hole. It's completely unreachable otherwise from this portal. And Skrulls invade the hospital in like a terrorist act and seal off the door and seize control of this stellar, interstellar hospital. They're looking for this skull prince with royal blood and stuff. So Carol can't get to her, and Jess is forced to take action to protect herself, her baby, and all of the other expectant moms that are there, all the different alien moms. And the situations, the dialogue, it's all top-notch. There's so many funny situations, and her leaning over and feeling like the back pain and having to do stuff, and she's tapping her foot, and she's trying not to have to act, and then she's like, oh man, I'm going to have to do something here, and... It helps both the writer and the artist are both new parents, so they're like in the thick of it with infants, and the humor is just, it, it's its really spot on. It's its really good. And all those aliens. I know. And, like, what was there, uh, a, a child, like, uh, right. <laughs> the Franklin woman there, and I was just like, what? I totally did not want to like this book, because... I didn't care for the whole idea of a pregnant spider woman. That's gonna, that's gonna last or not last. And they're going to have to write it out of her life, you know? And it's just a, I've been around long enough to see what happens with these things don't (laughs) end up good, but this is really being executed fully entertainingly. It's a really good book. I give it like a solid B, almost an A. It's almost a must read book, but if, I don't know if you weren't if you haven't been a parent. I don't know if you'd like it as much, but mm. also Jess delivers her baby during the adventure, and then issue five is like an aftermath issue that has Crystal and She Hulk visiting her friend to see her and the baby and seeing what a disaster her <laughs> life has become until Roger the Porcupine shows up and he's like the baby whisperer and he totally is making her chaotic life calm and tolerable and everything and it's such a funny role that he's playing he's becoming endearing to both the reader and to her it's just funny justice lets all her friends have it and they're just like what (laughs) she she looks like she's talking to you and then she's like going off for like three pages on this rant to the reader and then the camera spins around and you see crystal and she hulk there with gifts for the baby just with their eyes open like deers in headlights like oh my gosh i know it's almost like i'm gonna i feel like murdering this kid and, and my life is over and everything you're just like what is going on 
So it's from that point that Jessica Drew's life launches into this eight-part Spider-Women crossover with Spider-Gwen of Earth-65. They sort of hang out in each other's books, but it's when they introduce Silk. Like, Silk's the one that... Like, uh, like Gwen Stacy doesn't from um, Spider-Gwen doesn't seem to care for her as much. Yeah. But, I th- but they sort of, like, team up and, and like get along and become better friends as it, as it goes along. They all do. And Silk is in a precarious position when this crossover starts, too. Because uh, for those who don't know, she's Cindy Moon. And she is currently deep undercover for S.H.I.E.L.D., who is helping to find her parents. And she's deep undercover working for the Black Cat's mob gang. So she's dealing with all of this pressure, both from the Black Cat and from Mockingbird, who is like her liaison with S.H.I.E.L.D. It's a tough spot. So this eight-part crossover kicks off in Spider-Women Alpha and then goes into Spider-Gwen 7 and 8, Silk 7 and 8, Spider-Woman 6 and 7, and then ends in a Spider-Women Omega issue. Mm. So many payoffs and so many things set up, too, and so much beautiful art. It's true. It manages to move each character's storyline along, even though it's a tight crossover and you really have to bounce to each of the books. It's one book after the other. And there's great character moments between them. They really develop into real, dare I say it, spider friends. (laughs) Well, it's also cool since they're going to like different uh, universes and stuff. It's like, well, what would you do if you could go there and like see people or do things or like eat eat different foods or whatever the changes are from world to world. And then you find out that like something else occurs where there's a little bit of a uh, transporter craziness. <laughs> yeah. I don't even mind giving a little of uh, spoiling some of the, some of the plot here is they're in spider Gwen's universe, you know, out going out to lunch, spider Gwen and, and spider woman, and they get attacked and, Jess loses their dimension hopping device so she's stuck there and I mean good thing Roger has the baby but still and who stole it is Earth's 65 Cindy Moon so now she's in our world and Silk and Spider-Woman are trapped in Spider-Gwen's universe so they have to figure out how to get home and they end up tying it to Earth 65's Reed Richards which was cool and Cindy Moon's off seeing if she can find her parents in that universe, and that ends up being not exactly what she was looking for. There's then, some origin stuff. Yeah, and Jesse Drew, <laughs> Jessica Drew of the Spider-Gwen's universe, who's a male, and she pays his home a visit when he's not there because he's along with Cindy Moon in our universe, and when they do eventually get back, he's in her house sort of threatening the baby without threatening the baby, and the way that they fight and then decide to just talk it out, I just think that was a real cool sort of respect. It was done differently than you usually see when you encounter your mirror image from another universe. Yeah. And then when they have the final throwdown, it's kind of funny that out of context, you would think, why is Spider-Gwen like have all these guns and ammo? Like she's like right out of the early 90s, like cable with the staple guns and, and all that stuff. This is hilarious. 
And I love this portrayal of Jessica Drew in this series. She's confident, capable, and now she's like really driven thanks to the baby, you know? Yeah, because she's, yeah, she's uh, separated from the baby, so she's like, oh man, I gotta get back. And even the super adaptoid of both universes appears. This is a great little crossover. It's tight, and I hope it kind of becomes a tradition in some way, kind of like uh, Hank and Simon or Spidey and the Torch, that sort of thing. These three together are good. Yeah, there's been a lot of groupings of characters, it seems like, and it would make sense that certain characters would be friends with each other. Or help each other out. And I'd end it there, but Spider-Woman 8 was such a good done-in-one. I think it was the best issue yet of the title, actually. You know what was ridiculous, Steve? Is when Jess is on the phone <laughs> with Roger, and, like, Roger's sort of, like, walking walking <laughs> in front of, like... Like, there's, a, there's Jess fighting the tiger shark in the background, and Roger's holding the phone and, like, walking forward through the, the like the two pages as all this stuff is going on. And the dialogue is so funny. He's doing the typical babysitting question like, hey, listen, I, you know, is there uh, clean laundry? Is in your room? I didn't want to go in your room and possibly, like, see your underwear. Looking for the laundry, is that okay? And she's like, yeah, it's, you know, on the shelf in the room or whatever. And meanwhile, she's, like, doing flips and in the middle of a 14-page a fight, and chase with the tiger shark that's awesome it is a great issue i thought it was the best one yet yeah it was awesome really really good also have been reading some of the infinite comics i know i try to catch you guys up on the infinite comics and what's going on with them because Often they'll fly under people's radar and some people don't read digital at all or don't keep up with what the new releases are, so to speak. And with the Marvel Infinite comics, they, uh, which, and also I should say there's now a ton of them on Marvel Unlimited, the subscription service. But they just finished up with a Daredevil Punisher crossover. They've been going on with a new volume of the Ultimate Spider-Man, which is kind of a la the TV show, and that's been good. And they've got this Year of Marvels thing going on where they're doing an issue per month that spotlights a different character or team up and these have been really enjoyable done in ones the April one was entitled The Return of the Phoenix and Aaron Zemo? No, Jean Grey Jean with a G a bumbling, stammering coffee spilling 9 to 5 or guy right? What? And his friend gets the name association and is giving him like a constant play-by-play of his own life as if they're somehow a result of influence from the Phoenix Force or something, right? And Gene is all like, hey, stop calling me Phoenix. Cut it out, man, you know? (laughs) And his buddy just like knows all the Marvel history and everything. It's funny. And then there's like the Demolition Man versus the White Rabbit and Spidey even shows up. It's a pretty good done-in-one. I know someone who likes the White Rabbit. In May, there was the all-new Wolverine and She-Hulk teaming up versus Mother Monster and her Windigo girls. (laughs) Mother Monster, this is creepy, dude. This is like she made her daughters grow up on eating Windigo meat. Oh, man. 
Edit she must have saved some of those packages from when that was put into the meats in Canada. Turns them into like these hybrids. Then in June, it's a Nova and Iron Man story. And mostly Nova, who gets suckered by the Midnight's Fire, this deep dive character, <laughs> into helping him find and recover his daughter, who's similarly powered, who seems to be in custody of S.H.I.E.L.D., and the Midnight Fire is claiming that S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to use her as a weapon and stuff. But really, though, S.H.I.E.L.D. is helping her by protecting the girl and her family from Midnight's Fire. But Nova wants to help his dad be reunited because it ties into his own wanting to be reunited with his dad. So he helps him succeed and then realizes he totally messed up and he has to fix everything and explain to Iron Man along the way. That one was pretty good. And then the July one has Hydra stealing some stuff from Bucky and stuff is all written in, you know, like keyboard symbols. Every time mm-hmm. it's said, it's pretty funny. And Bucky wants it back and hunts it all down and it's got a Independence Day theme where he kind of has a couple of cute moments with some kids who offer him a sparkler on his way to the big showdown. And then afterwards, and he's got his stuff back, he's walking back and they're sitting on the front steps watching fireworks and he just decides to kind of call it a day and sit there and enjoy the fireworks with him. It's kind of cute. So they're keeping some... I know the Valentine's Day, February 1, had a connection too, so they're keeping in mind that they're doing this monthly through the calendar, but not every issue is necessarily tied to a holiday or a month, but I've been digging these. You always keep us up to date on the impotent stuff. The last one, it just began. It's a serial, a new Deadpool serial. It's called Deadpool Too Soon, and this has Deadpool and his ancient vampire queen wife Shikla they invite Squirrel Girl Spider-Ham The Punisher Ant-Man, Howard the Duck Rocket Raccoon and Groot to all meet at Four Bushman's house what? Dude, I'm serious. What? And they all, Man. they all get there and they're like, what's going on? And Forbush Man's like, whoa, another guest? They don't know who the invite is from or why. And it turns out that Deadpool has invited them all there under the selfish premise of wanting to stage the ultimate Christmas card picture for next year's Christmas card. And he turns the lights off and does it with night vision. And when they turn the lights back on, the story launches into what is could only be titled "Who Killed Forbush Man." Mm, I was wondering if you were <laughs> going this direction, like it was going to be like Clue, like it's uh, it, it's Mister Howard the Duck with the candlestick in the parlor. Exactly, exactly. No one leaves here till we find out who the perpetrator is. What's going on in the magic side of the Marvel Universe? I have yet to read Doctor Strange, even though it's close to my heart, but I know you've been delving into it. Yeah, magic is dead, Steve. Science is just wiping out magic, and there is no hope. This sounds like the Hercules book a little bit. (laughs) With the the tech gods coming on. I shouldn't say there is no magic. I don't know how thorough these guys are. I don't know, maybe maybe these guys are just like, if there's some like remnants of some old broken relic that has magic, they're just like, like who's going who's gonna to go and get that? Hmm. Right? 
So it's like a chase. That, that sounded like a tech god to me. <laughs> yeah, really. So it's sort of a chase for information. Magic information. Yeah, so you have all the magicians in the Marvel Universe are out and about and prominent in uh, Doctor Strange and the one-shots. And a lot of new ones that you never knew about. Like, with that, along with the creative team and the price and all that, I'm like, I don't know if I wanted to pick up, like, this Doctor Strange Last Days of Magic. So, like, it came out, I think I read two issues, like, past the issue, and then I came back to it. Yeah, because what happened was the first six issues came out as the first part of the story arc, and then there was a grace period before the second six started up, and in between you got the one-shot, the Last Days of Magic, right? Yeah, and I think there might have been uh, a Deadpool... Last Days of Magic, too. Yeah. Yep. So I was like, I don't know. Like, I, I listened to some podcasts, you know, check out some reviews, and I'm like, this seems good. Because I was basically in uh, Doctor Strange, you know, for uh, for Aaron and uh, Michello and everything. So I was like, well, I wouldn't say it's it's uh, questionable creators or anything. I was just like... I don't know if I want to I want to commit. I don't know if I'm that deep into the story, but I'm glad I did. Cuz we have like a, a framing sequence and then it goes into all these other stories. Like it's basically you know Doctor Strange has all these books in his house. So it's basically a character like opening up a book going, "Hey, I never knew about this guy or whatever." And then you check in on them just as like those science dudes are coming in, the empirical to uh wipe out all magic. So you get some like some crazy guy, like in Russia, where apparently he ate a magic bear and then, you know, he knew the magic. Sure. So you just get like crazy new guys like that, or I have to assume most of these are like new guys. Like there's one person in here where like, I, like it could have been like pulling from like some old like, tales to astonish or something like that. <laughs> You remember when Doctor Strange was going around the world in that long Dormammu story? It was like, uh, like it was instead of the done in once, yeah, like the Didco Lee stuff. Like they had that long like serial. It just kept going on and on forever. And sure. and at one point, Doctor Strange is just like, I don't know what to do. And it's like he seems to be defeated. Like Mordo has him on the run, and there's like all these duplicates and all these agents all over. Well, apparently Strange ran into someone then, and it sort of plays out into modern day with someone else. Really? Like, they're like a legacy type of character type of thing. Huh. Because there's there's also that time when that Euthrona character took all of his stuff and dethroned him as Sorcerer Supreme when his uh, one title ended and his other one started. That uh, there's been times where he's been desperate and lost all the magic before so it's be interesting to see how this gets put into place yeah so there's a lot of a lot of guys like that of course they check in on uh like dr voodoo and guys like that too so it's it's actually quite a meaty read hmm and the last days of magic one shot in between is it really just issue 6.5 basically uh yeah something like that or is it like a catch-up issue that like, I, you could read the Doctor Strange title. Like, I was obviously past this issue, and I came back to it, and I still enjoyed it. So it's just, like, Doctor Strange title, like, you might see a cameo of someone in Doctor Strange. Obviously, Doc, in his own book, the Doc's going to be the main focus. But then you get to this thing, and you get, like, all that bigger focus on the other characters. 
So if you want, really want to check out some different mystics or magicians and everything, like this is the place to see that. And I would like to see these characters like in other stories or in miniseries or wherever. Like I hope this isn't the last time you you see them and someone else uses them. I'm sure that's part of the initiative there. Or at least they'll show up in that bar that no one else can get to but magicians. Look at all the weird characters that are popping up with like the the you know teaser images for the future of Marvel after Civil War Two and stuff. It's they're happy to create new weird characters and and use them. Yeah, and we know we knew there was like it's like he's the Sorceress Supreme, but we knew there was like other magicians and guys like that out there. But oh, yeah. they seem to be going to the same people quite a bit. So you know this freshens things up a bit. You get to see like a lot of cool guys. Can't wait to get into it. I've been waiting because I knew it was a, like a 12-issue story, so I wanted it to get closer to the end of it, so when I started getting into it, I wouldn't have that much to wait for it to finish up. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they put that in like one big oversized hardcover app. <laughs> sort of like, you know what, when Jason Aaron did that with uh, Ribic there, the God Butcher thing, like first it was split up, and then later they put them together in one volume, like I would totally expect something like that. Right, I'm glad I waited to. Uh, Andrew, a few episodes ago, was asking us about Standoff and why we both were able to at least come up with some of the outcomes from Standoff publishing-wise, having there be the Thunderbolts book and whatnot and Zemo making an appearance. Yeah. Neither of us had much more to be able to say about it. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think I read, like, two tie-ins, and then the other ones you sort of, like, had to extrapolate on other stuff. Not the depth that I think well, people I would have it. wanted. I read it. I got this now. So Andrew, while he's recovering, he can hear us answer that question finally more thoroughly as to what the deal was with Standoff. And there are a number of interesting outcomes, and not just the two titles that came of it, the Thunderbolts title and the Captain America Steve Rogers book. But there are several things that end up being significant that, that came out of it. I'm gonna actually go through it here because uh, not not beat by beat or anything gosh it's it, what 16 parts or so but it involved the agents of shield book the new avengers title captain america sam wilson the all new all different avengers the uncanny avengers also uh one shots welcome to pleasant hill and the assault on pleasant hill alpha and omega as well as two tertiary tie-ins in Howling Commandos number six and the Illuminati number six. These ran in the March April Avengers books overall. In Welcome to Pleasant Hill, we learn that Pleasant Hill is Maria Hill's I'm sure that's not coincidental <laughs> Maria Hill's new style of a supervillain prison. The ultimate supervillain prison. They used fragments of a cosmic cube that they had that was uncovered that they had and they were supposed to get rid of it but they couldn't for an important reason and they have used these fragments to transform villains reality their conscious even their physical being and makeup and appearance into these brainwashed citizens of this suburban pleasant hill community and we follow one prisoner as he gets programmed 
into accepting it over time. He keeps fighting back and fighting the programming, and ultimately he's he's programmed to accept. And this prisoner, he gets a clue from someone, and the lead ends up revealing their true nature to themselves. They reveal who the person who's leading him is, and then this prisoner ends up discovering that he's none other than Baron Zemo. And the fixer is the guy who was like was like the deep throat, giving him little bits of information and leading him to if you go behind the you know the boiler in this particular room in this in the laundry place you can there's no cameras and you can sneak through and and escape. I think that was actually a legitimate surprise because I don't think they let on that Thunderbolts was coming through the series so. I even, I reorder it. So <laughs> I even knew the Thunderbolts came out. Title came out of the book, and I was still surprised when I read it. <laughs> so then it goes to Assault on Pleasant Hill Alpha. It shows that Sam Wilson, Captain America, Cap Falk, is estranged from Steve Rogers because Sam works with the Whisperer, who is revealed to be Rick Jones, who is like a hacker information like WikiLeaks type guy. He gave up the hammer radio. Yeah. He touches, he says that's the reason why actually he goes back to that. It's (laughs) funny. Um, But he leaks info about the existence of Pleasant Hill to the public, which freaks everybody out, obviously. And Bucky is back from his cosmic man on the wall duties and investigates, and he's like taking down all these different shield outposts, trying to find information about the Pleasant Hill location. Bucky tells Steve Rogers that Maria Hill is totally shady, and that she's behind this Pleasant Hill thing, and that this isn't cool. And so Steve isn't happy with that. He meets with Maria, and he goes to Pleasant Hill with Maria, who isn't apologetic. She thinks this is a good was a good idea. And we learn that the fragments, why they couldn't get rid of them, Steve's all like, why didn't you get rid of these fragments? The fragments, as Cosmic Cubes will do, evolved into a humanoid-type being, this time Kobik, with a K, with two Ks, actually. Kobik, this little, like, ten-year-old girl. At least it wasn't another Beyonder. So they don't want to kill this ten-year-old girl for humanitarian reasons so instead they're they're using her as a weapon no (laughs) Uh, and at the end of the assault on pleasant hill alpha zemo makes his move and starts this whole breakout with 16 inmates the thunderbolts among them many of the thunderbolts then you go to agents of shield number three where the agents of shield tv cast is hunting down rick jones in the morlock tunnels and he's fighting them off with all different pieces of Marvel technology and Marvel weapons from history, like the Captain's Shield that had no markings on it, just the stripes, and uh, the Ringmaster's hat and things like that. But Rick gets caught and incarcerated. But at the end of the issue, the New Avengers, or at least some of them, Hawkeye, the White Tiger, the Power Man, Songbird, and Pod arrive to bust out Rick. Then in New Avengers 8 and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. 4, you get both sides of the New Avengers busting Jones out and totally taking out the S.H.I.E.L.D. cast, the new handsome Deathlock included. (laughs) 
It, Hawkeye uh, did it with one arrow. And some luck. In New Avengers 9 and 10, the army sends the American Kaiju after the New Avengers and Rick Jones on AIM Island. The American Kaiju is this soldier who gets all jacked up and turns into this giant lizard-like kaiju monster, and he just says, You. S. A. <laughs> it's, really, it's really funny. So you're saying like the the Godzilla from the American version. Oh, it's funny. That movie. And the New Avengers fight back. Robert DaCosta and AIM have whipped up something perfect for this. It's Avenger 5, who is this giant big mech. So this big Avengers mech fighting the American kaiju. Meanwhile, uh, DaCosta and Songbird and Hawkeye fend off these shield forces who are trying to capture Rick. And during their escape, my favorite part is Rick uses Chemistro's alchemy gun. Ooh. And Hawkeye turns to him and says, Dude, that could have been someone's foot. <laughs> oh, no. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, I swear to God. <laughs> There's a nod back to last episode when we did the Luke Cage for 16 issues and the first appearance of Chemistro. Oh, that's so perfect. Yeah. So then Captain America Sam Wilson, 7 and 8 bring us Cap Falk arriving in Pleasant Hill and encountering the Winter Soldier, and they join forces to fight their way to get to Steve Rogers and Maria Hill and Zemo, because Zemo's got Rogers and Maria Hill held captive as part of their breakout. Steve is separated from Zemo because he sends Crossbones out to basically kill him. And Steve is totally getting beaten on by Cross... He's old man Steve, you know? Crossbones is crushing him. But Kobik appears and holds out her little 10-year-old hand and says, Do you want to be a hero again? I can do it for you. And restores him to his vim and vigor. Then we've got Cap Falk and Steve Rogers, young again. And the... Super Steve is what you're saying. Super Steve, exactly. I, I didn't want to say it, but since you did. <laughs> and the Winter Soldier fighting their way towards Zemo, and they're fighting all various, you know, inmate inmates, Brothers Blood, and all all the different Pleasant Hill inmates are slowly realizing who they are, and they're mad about it, you know? So they're all rioting everywhere. So all throughout all these issues, you're getting to fight all these different villains, uh, B, C, and A level among them. And while this trio is fighting their way towards Zemo, they pick up Mach 7 along the way, who's trying to quell the riot. Whoa, 7? Yeah. So he went through 8 and 9 in between this series and the Thunderbolts? He really upgraded himself. Wow. And this is funny, too, because no one has Kobik, and Zemo wants her to help him rule the world, and Moonstone seems like she's all for that plan as well. He doesn't have her, though. Nobody has her. She keeps just popping up different places. So Zemo uses Craven the Hunter to ensnare her. And his trap is he goes to the park and he sets up, like, this little tea party picnic. And sits mm. there, like, having a little party. And he's, like, got a little hat on. And he's blowing the little party streamers and stuff. It's really funny. The tenth part of this crossover is in Uncanny Avengers 7. And this has the Uncanny Avengers team basically arriving in Pleasant Hill after they take on the Wrecker and they learn of the whole scheme. Then in all new, all different Avengers 7, 
I think there is a nice opening scene with Sam Wilson, Cap, and Jane Foster because they kissed as Thor and Captain America. Now he sees that she's, you know, sickly Jane Foster, and he's like, why are you doing this? And she has a whole big page of kind of explaining things to him. And he's got her back, even though he doesn't necessarily agree with her hiding what the situation is. I thought that scene was was this this book is full of good character moments, even the issues that aren't necessarily seem seeming complete. Because also here, the Vision gives Ms. Marvel a real confidence boost by giving her this gift of all of these memories of different Avengers missions from the past. Yeah, and good then stuff. the then the team crash lands in Pleasant Hill, and they, along with the Uncanny Avengers, are assimilated by Kobik into becoming inmates, residents of Pleasant Hill. In Uncanny Avengers 8, I really like this issue. It opens with this several-page sequence of Rogue, who is assimilated and and a resident of Pleasant Hill. She's shaking off the mind control slowly because there are these defenses that have been set up way back in the day by Charles Xavier. And so he sort of appears... And he's like, hey, listen, if I'm appearing, I, you know, this was part of the deal. I was your cue that your mind is being tampered with and you wanted me to be a symbol of that. So you must be being messed with right now. And she ends up realizing her true self and throughout the issue goes about the task of turning the rest of the bunch back into realizing who they are. And it's fun to see each of their situations because part of the deal in Pleasant Hill is that you're content. So, you know, what it is to make all these different people happy and content, and then they get pulled out from under them, the rug, and some are happy about it and and mad and relieved, and others are really upset about it, like Deadpool. He's like freaking freaking Connecticut every damn time. There was an ongoing joke about how everything, whenever he goes to Connecticut, bad stuff happens, and then here it is issues later. It's like freaking Connecticut again. In all new, all different Avengers 8, the teams together fight their way back against Kobik, and it's Deadpool who surprisingly plays the key role to kind of talk her down, because his mind has been messed with, and look at him now kind of a thing, so should she really be in mess with all these other people's minds, and is that really okay? And it ends up turning the tide of the battle. Then I kind of ditched over to an interlude issue which was the last issue of Howling Commandos of S.H.I.E.L.D. number 6, where you have Orgo, you know, the old big Lee Kirby mm. monster, being captured and, and turned into a resident of Pleasant Hill, and then he gets rescued by the rest of the Howling Commandos, and they're like, all for one, one for all, and we'll all go down together and all that. They're real pals. They've become a family, That those Howling Commandos. Yeah, I thought Ar- Argo was, like, eat into eating humans or some weird thing. He, you know... This wasn't so pleasant. So issue 15 of this crossover is, and 16 is more of an epilogue, is the big finale here. It's getting everybody to this point of being together, united against Zemo, and finally reaching him on the assault on Pleasant Hill Omega. And here we have first Craven's scheme working. (laughs) He he captures, well, really the trapster of all people, captures... A Kobik in like a Ghostbusters style box that the fixer fixed up. That would mm, I think Andrew would would say it's 
paste bot Pete, but anyhow. <laughs> but all because of the party, and it's funny to see Craven, you know, doing his thing, working his magic as the ultimate hunter here, swallowing his pride a little. Also in this issue, Wendell Vaughn suddenly appears. He had been losing control of the Negabands or something, and had voluntarily gone under this, like, brainwashing situation to take himself off the table with S.H.I.E.L.D. It's pretty weird. He appears and gives this cool female S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who was introduced several issues back in one of the other issues, he gives her the Negabands, and she becomes a new Quasar with Hmm. him as her mentor. Wonder what they're going to do with that. And then we have all the Avengers teamed up, and they're fighting Zemo and company, which is great. Kobik escapes her captivity, and she goes off with Bucky, who she was kind of mean to. But then because of his mind messed up stuff, she kind of feels sorry for them and kind of apologize to them, and and they sneak off together uh, between panels. And at the end of the whole thing, the Red Skull is revealed to somehow have been behind all of this, but unclear how, and he ends the whole issue with a Hail Hydra. (laughs) Right? Of course. Then the epilogue issue that I thought was interesting was Illuminati number six, where you have the absorbing man in the aftermath of this whole thing, who was a inmate, a resident of Pleasant Hill, telling his story to the hood. And the absorbing man was honestly happy. He would have preferred to have been left alone. He had a flirtatious budding romance with this girl. And when the whole veal gets lifted, he is really ticked off and he's mad and and fighting mad against S.H.I.E.L.D., against everyone. And he's got Whirlwind with him, too. (laughs) And it's great. What am I doing there? And Whirlwind's got his better armor on, which is cool. And it turns out that the girl he was having the flirtatious relationship with was Electra, and, and she was an inmate. Remember, at the end of her series, she went, she voluntarily went with Shield, as a, and was captive. So she kind of fights with them a little bit because she's trying to keep them from causing more damage. But at the same time, they kind of have a nod to each other that it's like we had a little thing there. Sorry, and. The Absorbing Man being reunited with Titana, his wife, and the Hood, he's kind of in a funny position because he was, again, he was happy with her. He was happy with where that was going, and he was happy with that other world. He was happier than than being married to Titana, and, and that kind of puts a tear in her eye. But that's the basic standoff, Welcome to Pleasant Hill deal. It kicked off into that Captain America, Steve Rogers issue number one, where you've got the vital Captain America again teamed up with Jack Flag from the Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they even made mention of it, although they're like, I, you're just kidding me with that, Liberty Bell says to him, I think. Or thought we agreed never to talk about that or something. <laughs> <laughs> but he was going to be the chosen one, remember, with like this whole cosmic purpose. But yeah. uh, And then Captain America, at the end of Captain America 1, pushes him out of the airplane and does the famous Hail Hydra thing that caused such a stir on the internet. Oh, I think they they apologize for that afterwards. Well, issue number two has it all revealed what the deal is that the skull 
You see, Nick Spencer was happy to know the writer of Captain America, uh, Steve Rogers' end of Captain America, Sam Wilson. He, he was happy to learn that throughout all of these standoff issues, no one really took advantage of citing where the fragments of this cosmic cube came from. And Spencer decides to earmark them that this is the fragments of the Skull's Cube. Mm. So there's a relationship with the Skull, and when Kobik escapes and is looking for some guidance and some love, she goes to the Skull, who very much loved her once. You know, when she was in cube form. And the Skull knows how to take advantage of a good opportunity here, so he gets all cutesy, and he's, like, reading her nighttime stories, and he's being the ultimate uber-dad to her to set this whole plot in motion so that when Steve gets to Pleasant Hill and is restored, he's restored with her ability to reshape people's histories like she was doing to all the inmates in Pleasant Hill, and she inserts the history of him being a Hydra agent, secret Hydra sleeper agent all along. And that's why you have the whole inconsistency with Hydra. You know, they they made it be that, like, Steve Rogers' mom was recruited by Hydra. But it's like Hydra was started by Strucker after World War II, so what's the deal? And this is why Kobik's rewritten everything. And honestly, I don't like that aspect of it, because the Marvel Universe... Other than its characters being its greatest asset, its next greatest asset is the awesome history, the fictional history that's been laid down. And this better be short term because if they start making Hydra into more of something that they, something more than it is like in the movie universe or something, it need, it's started by Strucker post-war. That's the cool thing about Hydra. S.H.I.E.L.D. started up and Hydra started up. It was the representation of the Cold War after the World War II stuff. It's yeah. always forever, Steve. And we all, we know S.H.I.E.L.D. started back thousands of years, remember? Yeah, the Shield? yeah well, that's cute. And all that. <laughs> Finish that story and maybe I'll talk about it. <laughs> Isn't that still coming? Yeah, supposedly. Supposedly <laughs> it's written, it's just a matter of Weaver getting to it. And we haven't heard from Weaver for a while, so maybe he's cranking it out. Well, he did that, uh... oh yeah, I guess that was a while ago, that Secret Wars uh, right? series. So Captain America Steve Rogers has this big tie to the whole Kobik thing, and the Red Skull has this tie to Kobik and the Cube. So that's all big, and supposedly that's going to be, you know, Captain America being bad and hiding it. Issue number three is going to pick up right where one left off with him pushing Jack Flag out of the plane, now with the reader informed of what the deal is about Cap, and, and this is going to be an ongoing thing about him uh, being a sleeper agent throughout the Marvel Universe to come. Which, you know, I, I'm sure it'll be told in a good way and it'll be enjoyable, but wouldn't necessarily be my preference. There's been plenty of Skull using Captain America and uh, brainwashing him in the past stories, so uh, I guess this is just another one. And then we and get another Cube story. Yeah, and, and then we get Kobik carrying on with Bucky in the Thunderbolts title with Mach 10. <laughs> yeah. Which so is, I thought that the cap issue was one of those like, great, crazy reveal. Oh, the story behind the story. Like It, it kind of reminds me of another one from like how the Gambit series was. Like After 23 issues, like the 24th issue, almost the last issue of the series, but effectively the last issue of the series, 
where they went through like what the what the whole series was about, like, really? basically, and like said, yeah, all this stuff, this was the original plan, then this happened, and it all linked up to everything that had occurred, and you were just sort of like, wow. I'm saying, wow, that there was a Gambit title that lasted 24 issues? I keep telling you, Steve, it was a good Gambit series for 24 issues. Wow. Oh, man, it was so good. Mr. Sinister, Assassin's Guild, Bullseye, it was was awesome. Sabretooth. I usually don't like the whole Belladonna, Assassin's Guild stuff related to the Gambit, though, but maybe I'll give it a shot. The the guild, I think, only comes in later on. There was a little bit of uh, funky second or third... No, probably the second time Claremont came back to the X-Men. I think not the third time, second time. So there was a bit of funky stuff from his run in the book. But other than that, it... it Well, I remember it being pretty solid. I'm going to go back and go, whew, not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I think the only one I really read was maybe the first limited series that that I think was Joe Mad, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think so. We're somewhat similar. Don't similar the series, like Howard Mackey. I have no visual on the artist. Gambit. The, the logo was the biggest thing on the cover. It was like in yeah. the middle of the issue, and it was huge. But like I know I have that series, but I I can't remember what was in it. <laughs> So from this standoff, some of the big things that came out of it are thus. Here's your checklist of big things to come out of this series. Cap gets restored back to his vibrant age, which we know is tainted now. We've got this new female Quasar who's been chosen and coached by Wendell Vaughn, but also has the training of a kick-ass S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. We've got Rick Jones with a new status quo. He's got all these old Marvel weapons and tech, and he's computer savvy. And we have the Thunderbolts reformed and joining Bucky in his role as now they're men on the wall. Yeah, and, that, I think that adds an extra element to Thunderbolts that's um, that's nice, that it's not just as straightforward as it seemed. Yeah, but it's got Co- that Koba character in it too, so that's a little goofy. But, yeah, well, apparently, like, you, you could have done the series without that character, I think. Because I think the main thing is having Bucky there so they can chase down all these different things on a list. Then also we get Elektra is now free from S.H.I.E.L.D. captivity, free to roam. And at the end of the New Avengers, we get Sam Guthrie, Cannonball, returning to that group and to Costa. So the dynamic duo of Cannonball and Sunspot are back together again with the new Avengers. Which is now, you know, slowly going to be evolving into this U.S. Avengers thing. Yeah, there's been a lot of new announcements, but new and all different and all exciting books. So that's a few, you know, big hits that came out of the book, uh, out of that uh, crossover, I should say. And it was weird, after reading the Spider-Woman crossover which was so tight and like one issue now you go to this issue it, you know it even had its own spider women numbering on the covers of the different issues right go to this issue go to this issue go to this issue this standoff pleasant hill thing was a really loose mishmash where some issues told some of the same story from different angles and really they were all slowly just how all of the pieces got um, in one place for that finale issue 
and then have all these different outcomes come out of it. It was more like a status quo of a month or two of Avengers titles stories rather than necessarily a crossover or a event. I think that the biggest thing I've noticed with like Captain America and Ant-Man and everything that uh, Nick Spencer seems to have found his groove. Because before I... It was, it, he was like very like hit or miss, and then he went into that superior foes thing. Right, that was it. Yeah, and since then, I don't think he's written anything that I wouldn't want to read. And then that's good because I, I guess sometimes we we expect writers to be like like you were good on that other book or or whatever, and there's no settling period, and you're just like, oh, I don't know if I want to try your next book because the first one wasn't so good. But now I feel like. Like he's hit that hit that spot. Have you read his indie book with that's the same creative team as Superior Foes, The Fix? No, but I've pre ordered the trade that has what is it, the first four or five issues yeah. in it? I am also waiting for it to have the first arc to read it, but maybe we can talk about it over on Indie Comic Book Noise, our sister show where we talk about the indie books we're reading. Sounds good. Kevin, have you looked at any of the Marvel solicits for, I guess now it would be July for September? September. September. I have. We're talking about Marvel. (laughs) Of particular interest to me, like last time, I know I surprised you, sprung it on you. I always, first thing I do is I flip back to the collected editions and I look (laughs) to see what old material has been collected. Right? I'm reading the current stuff, so I quick flipped it, and it's usually in the back, although they have some scattered. The Marvel Masterworks are sometimes, and the Omnibue are sometimes in the front of the collected edition section. But I always got to look at the cl- uh, the old material. Uh, I got to start at page one, Steve. Oh no! That, that's that, that's honestly when I open it up, I like I I can't just go to the collected editions. Like I have to go through the whole thing. <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm pretty happy with. Like the new new books they're introducing and the variety of books in here, like it's not just all grim and gritty, or it's not just all funny, or it's not just all Bendis or what have you. Like someone should be able to find something in here. Yeah, it's not all straight up superhero. Even it's interesting. Yeah. So you know, sometimes the books don't last the longest, or they evolve into the next thing. But I'm just happy. Like you can get a lot of different books out. Out what there, if, like you can get the Great Lakes Avengers or our Squirrel Girl or whatever. What if they're all weird though at the same time? I almost feel like we're we're kind of, we're getting into a period of that happening where like all none of the books are straightforward. The comics are weird, Steve. Except for Spider Woman. <laughs> so no, no, that's weird because how many comics have you read stuff like really? You usually don't go through like you don't spend a storyline on oh. <laughs> She's going to have a kid and all this. I know. You don't usually get into that. Doing diapers or whatever. You don't don't get into that. When pregnant Spider-Woman is, you know, one of the most straightforward books that I'm enjoying. That's crazy. No, I would say Amazing Spider-Man is pretty straightforward. Like, Peter might be running, like, a company type of thing. But I think that's that's typical Spider-Man in that book. Some of the collected editions that caught my eye was, speaking of the 
omnibuses or omnibu, they have a Deadpool Beginnings omnibu. Did you see that? I did. Tons but before of that, Steve, shouldn't they be blanking out these Marvel mini-mates for the Doctor Strange movie? I looked at that and I had to glance away. I'm like, oh, shouldn't that be blanked out? Yeah. Not approved yet? <laughs> but yeah, that, that Deadpool Beginnings, I think I have most of this stuff. Or before I sold some of it, I should say, too. <laughs> And then the the Marvel Masterworks for the month is the Invincible Iron Man Volume Ten, that does Iron Man sixty eight to eighty one, which is Mike Friedrich, Bill Mantlo, era, Tuska Jones, Pollard. Yeah, this is when I started first picking up yeah. Iron Man off the shelves. They got the yeah. Kirby Milgram covers, but most notably, it's the era of the nose on the armor. <laughs> Why did he need to put that in? You find out there's a very special oh, really? issue. There's a very special issue where they even put it on the cover and it's in here. Wow. Yeah, from what I can gather from if other people are to be trusted, this isn't uh, the greatest of Iron Man eras. Like you're sort of like no. waiting for, um, I guess it's Leighton to come exactly. on after exactly. 100. Then there's another epic collection coming out, a Doctor Strange epic collection. And I, what is this going to be, volume three? So it's like the post-Ditko stuff that's got all the colon and Barry Windsor Smith and Marie Severin stuff. And then getting into when he has his own title finally after the Marvel premiere stuff and Doctor Strange one through five that has the separate reality, silver dagger, awesome Brunner pencil work. I believe this is all stuff that's in Masterworks as well. I wonder why there's so many Doctor Strange collections. Yeah. Loving it, though. <laughs> and The Flight of the Bones is one of the other ones that reprints that Tony Harris limited series. Is that the Marvel Knights series? Yes. Yeah, okay. I have that one. That, that was a little weird. Also of note to me that I found real fond when it first came out and I read it in trades then I've got a shelf full of these trades is the Star Wars Legacy Marvel's now putting out an epic collection of that Dark Horse material and that mm -hmm. Legacy story was one that's set in the like the far future of the Star Wars universe so everything we know is real ancient ancient past and of legend and barely known and it has like a descendant of Luke Skywalker having to kind of come to terms with his heritage. There's a new Sith Lord, Dark Kryat, and I, I really dug this series very much, written by uh, John Ostrander, with artwork, for the most part, by uh, Jan Dersima. I'm not at all as familiar with the Star Wars stuff. This is so good. It was my favorite of the Dark Horse stuff, because it was something completely different, even though it was, you know, just reflected the Star Wars stuff, and uh, this is the first 19 issues. Another epic collection is the Black Panther, Volume 1, that does Fantastic Four 52-53 and Jungle Action 6-24, through 24, giving us all a bunch of the Don McGregor stuff that Rich Buckler and Billy Graham and Gil Kane worked on. The Black Panther goes solo for the first time. But my favorite epic collection of the month... <laughs> Revenge! Yeah, is Power Man and Iron Fist, epic collection number 2. They skipped the ROM issue, though. Did you notice? Well, they had to. They couldn't make a special arrangement? With... It was more of a tie-in. It was 
It okay. was more important to what was going on in ROM than what was going on in Power Man and Iron Fist. It was them helping him break into the Baxter building or stopping him from breaking into the Baxter building or something. I remember picking up all those issues that I knew they weren't going to reprint anyways years ago. <laughs> so I'll be happy to buy this collection. Yeah, it's the Kerry Gamill, Denny's Cohen, and Keith Pollard stuff written by uh, Joe Duffy and Denny O'Neill. This Frank, Frank Miller no. covers. Yeah, and a bunch of covers. One of the great things about this time period here, this reprints 71 through 89, and they don't even touch upon it in the pretty lengthy solicit blurb, is we get to go to Kun Loon. Oh. After all of the buildup and everything, Danny finally gets back to Kun Loon, and it's the big adventure, and the August personage and Jade, and all that stuff. And seeing you, the Thunderer again, it, it all happens here in issue 75 under a gorgeous painted cover. Real good. The so you down for sons, Son of Satan? <laughs> I am. The Son of Satan classic does Marvel Spotlight 12 to 24, Son of Satan 1 through 8, and then his appearances in like Marvel 2 and 1 and Marvel Team Up. That's all classic stuff. Jim Mooney, Herb Trimpey, Tom Sutton, Sal Buscema. How can you not think of Sal Buscema when you think of Son of Satan? I don't think of anyone with Son of Satan. With the Defenders, I think of Sal. Son of Satan faces. Written by Friedrich Gerber, Claremont, Conway. And Mantlo, of course. Oh, this is a must-have epic. They just did the omnibus the other... Was it the other month? Of what? Spider-Man, the complete clone saga. Epic book one, tray paperback, new printing. <laughs> yeah, it's just a new printing, though. Yeah, but they're going to do the whole thing in the correct order this time. Yeah, I hope so. That's funny. That, I... You know, for all the flack that the clone saga gets, I enjoyed the drama of it and the tension of it month to month as it went on month to month to month to month to month see this is one of those things like sometimes i crack on other series and i like know their reputation and everything but having like 99 percent of the clone saga and having to go through that month to month i am very aware of the clone saga (laughs) so when i talk about the clone saga i know the clone saga me too. Who was that guy? Who was that other guy? There were so many new weird villains, and who are they, and what's their role, and what does this mean? They kept you well, going even for when a long I did, time. Like, my own comics, like, I was sort of influenced by the Clone Saga, because I remember, like, introducing some mysterious characters, because I was like, oh, yeah, I was influenced by the Clone Saga, because mm-hmm. it wasn't all terrible. Like, there were some good moments in there. Yeah, but there So was... I'm, like, trying to take the elements out of the Clone Saga that I was enjoying, like, some kind of mystery, like... I, I guess a, a bit of that too is the hobgoblin saga. Like when there's something like that, I'm like, oh, the mystery. I gotta, I gotta use that for myself. Like I, I love the mystery. And leave Judas Traveler on the cutting room floor for gosh sakes. <laughs> <laughs> the spirits of vengeance, the rise of the midnight suns. They're doing a trade paperback of that crossover launch of that whole line, which is hilarious. Yeah, but I, I guess this hasn't gotten a reprint in. I gotta think, like, decades? Well, because it has to have all the different creative teams. It's the first six issues of Ghost Rider, Blaze, Spirits of Vengeance. It's Morbius the Living Vampire 1, Darkhold Pages from the Book of Sins number 1, Night Stalkers number 1, a couple of issues of Weber Spider-Man, and the Ghost Rider proper. That's a big but trade. Does, does this even match up with the Ghost Rider classic? 
trades that they were putting out? Well, it doesn't have to because this is well, this is like years into the Dan Ketch Ghost Rider of the 90s. Yeah. I'm just wondering if they have any there plans. Or they, or they know something, is, you know. Oh, if they reprinted the old Johnny Blaze yeah. Ghost Rider stuff with the, the Bob Budiansky stuff and all that, I, I would love that. Just like I love that they're finally doing a square-bound, durable reprint trade paperback of a bunch of Hembeck material. It's the Marvel <laughs> Universe according to Hembeck. So why is Sandman on this cover? Like this looks like a like a gatefold, and you would see like Sandman's head on like one half, and then his huge arm just coming up, but you only see his arm. So funny! I love the bottom row of Thor and Black Widow and Nick Fury and Spider Woman and Namor looking really uncomfortable in the corner. <laughs> Well, even Spider-Man's like that. He's eyeballing Hembeck like, what is going on here? When I grew up, other than the letters pages of comic books, uh, I wasn't savvy enough to do any of the mail-order fanzines or anything like that. I was 5 in 1975. I was 10 in 1980. Around that time when the LCSs started popping up, and one local to me was Fanico, they published a bunch of Hembeck material in these beautiful albums that, uh, they had six of them and when we discovered them my friends and I it was not only just enjoying all of the satirical humor and the funny you know curlicued knees drawings and stuff but it was honestly my first taste of sort of unedited fandom Marvel fandom and, and comics fandom and and enjoyment of the history of comics and, and all of that. I found it really enjoyable and informational and entertaining and I, I, educational. I, I really I really dug Hembeck's stuff. It was at the perfect time. I read all of those word balloons and all of those strips is. And and happy to uh, see him a few times a year now up here at the Albany Con and uh, have several pieces by him on my wall. Love Fred Hembeck's stuff. Hembeck just makes everything better. And again, it's not just the silliness of the art, but also the rich history that he was always mining when he was just using that art as a vehicle to do a little, you know, it was a video blog, but they were like little comics blogs, you know, strips about various aspects of, in this case, Marvel Universe things. Eventually he did all those strips in Marvel Age and stuff, and that's what I would eventually love to see is a complete Fred Hembeck from Marvel Age. This has some Marvel Age in it, but not all of it. Mm. it. Looks like it's got everything else, though. Yeah, I'm surprised at some of the things in here. Like, it says Fred Hembeck sells the Marvel Universe? Yep. That was the one destroys that Destroys the Marvel... Like, I certainly know Destroys better. Probably a rep... Maybe it has a more of a reputation than rather sells the Marvel Universe. And this stuff is is not reprinted in the big almost complete Hembeck phone book type uh, reprint that Hembeck has of all his material because this is all the Marvel stuff. This is great. Going to be a good collection. And speaking of Gambit limited series and past <laughs> series, Gambit and Rogue, they each get their first limited series. Gambit's from 93 and Rogue's from 95 reprinted together in a trade paperback. Yeah, but I think the Gambit was probably in the Gambit classic. Mm-hmm. Yes, Gambit has a classic. <laughs> but 
But uh, yeah, if you want these two series together, here it is. Well, what ties it is they're both written by Mackie and the Gambit portion drawn by Lee Weeks and Mike Wieringo doing the art on Rogue. Maybe it was Weeks who drew that first limited series of Gambit, or maybe this is the second one. I don't know. I know Joe Mad. Maybe Joe Mad just did the covers. Maybe. But those were the collected editions that caught my eye. Yeah, I guess we want to save all Thunderbolts uh, stuff for other segments. But why is Mac-10 killing people? That, that was my big issue with the new Thunderbolts. Well, they're not new, but, you know. Yeah, I know what you mean. Issue two. Like, after what happened on Cosmos, and with all, and there was all those bug insect things, and then Moonstone, like, it's just like, oh, we got to get out of here, and she just murders the the leader there, and then I'm like, isn't this the same sort of situation where it's something they don't know, and now they're just murdering people? Inhumans, or whatever it turns out to be? And how come when Kobik pulled the Moonstone out of Moonstone's body, which was a quite a, a story beat, uh, how come there was, it was just one? Well, we haven't resolved that yet. That would be that would be spoilers. Oh yeah, there's more to be. There's more to, be, there's more to happen. Okay. Good to know. Stay tuned, true believers.
Thank you.